Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in today's program, you want to address a letter you received from a listener. His name is Richard Cheshire from Hartsville, South Carolina. That's right, Scott. Richard is a longtime listener of the Scripture on Creation program. I've received several encouraging letters from him over the years. And the reason I want to read some of his correspondence today is because he has a question for us to address as well. So, Scott, read some of the letter, please. Okay, he writes, Dear Dr. Scripture, thank you for your continued broadcast ministry. You and Scott always faithfully declare our Maker's praise. Hmm. Thank you for honoring God and clarifying for us laymen what the scientific community is seeing of His hand in creation. From time to time, you ask for program suggestions. Have you considered a program on passages where the Holy Spirit inspired an understanding of something contrary to popular thought centuries before it was known to modern science? The passage which brought this to my mind is Job 26.7, where Job speaks of God stretching the sky over empty space and hanging the earth on nothing. This was in a time when the earth was thought to be the solid center and foundation of the universe. Just two chapters later, in Job 28.25, it says, God gave weight to the wind as he did to water, even though air is so light it appears weightless. There are probably many other such surprising gems which demonstrate the Father's wisdom and inspire faith. Hmm. I encourage you to continue your ministry declaring God through Christ Jesus as the Creator. Your brother in Christ, Richard Cheshire. Well, that was a very encouraging letter, wasn't it? It sure was, and his suggestion for a program might just stretch out into a few programs, don't you think, Dr. Scripture? (laughs) I do indeed think that will be the case, Scott. So, we'd like to thank Richard for his letter and his excellent suggestion for material for the program. And with that said, let's start with the first passage he mentioned. It just so happens to be one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Job chapter 26. And what we're going to observe is the Holy Spirit inspires Job to reveal natural phenomena that until relatively recently, compared to when Job was written, was not explained scientifically. Now, Dr. Scripture, before you start citing some specific examples, I have a question related to that idea that the Holy Spirit inspired Job to write the things he did. Okay. I know we have the confidence that what is written in the canon of Scripture was inspired by God, mm. so that the form of literature, the grammar, you know, even down to the exact words used, express perfect truth no matter what subject is being addressed. Amen. <laughs> but I wonder how much a writer like Job might have been describing things he already understood to some extent. Well, that's a very interesting question, Scott. I think what you're getting at is, was it possible that back in the days of Job, they had a better understanding of many aspects of the created realm than humanity had later in history? In other words, much of what was known about the world was lost over time. For example, through the Dark Ages. Exactly. And this is something that we talk about from time to time on this program, Mm -hmm. that if this scenario is true, it contradicts the commonly held evolutionary assumption that ancient people were dumb brutes, (laughs) that they were hardly more advanced than cavemen, 
and it's only due to the evolutionary progress of the human race that we now have the scientific and technological knowledge of the modern era. <laughs> yes, and that evolutionary mindset is evident, for example, when skeptics object to the biblical account of the ark surviving the flood. Exactly. They claim there's no way Noah had the technical know-how to build such a sophisticated ship. And of course, since we don't have the Ark to study, we know very little about its construction. However, the pyramids are still standing. Hmm. And as far as I know, we still don't understand how those ancient Egyptians were able to build them. But whether or not Job understood the details of what he was writing about as a result of the scientific knowledge in his day, or only because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him, the accuracy of the biblical statements are definitely confirmed by the discoveries of scientists of the modern era. So let's look at what Job describes in Job chapter 26. The first thing we'll consider is the context. Job is responding to the comments of his not-so-helpful friend, Bildad. <laughs> he and the other two friends are trying to convince Job that he must deserve what has happened to him by comparing his lowly estate to God's. <laughs> Scott, start reading at Job 25, verse 4. How then can a man be just with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of woman? if even the moon has no brightness and the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man, that maggot, and the son of man, that worm. <laughs> to this rather overstated comparison, Job then responds in chapter 26. And I'm going to read from the NIV Bible through this section because it uses words we're accustomed to using, and I won't need to explain the meaning of so many of them. So Job 26, verses 1 through 4 begins. Then Job replied, How you have helped the powerless! How you have saved the arm that is feeble! What advice you have offered to one without wisdom, and what great insight you have displayed! Who has helped you utter these words, and whose spirit spoke from your mouth? Scott, would you say there's a bit of sarcasm in Job's response? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what Job does then is cite even grander examples of the superiority and power of God. And he does so by describing some relationships between the Creator and His creation. Now, some of those relationships being spiritual, that is supernatural, and others being material or natural. And it's the natural phenomena which we can observe that reveal the pre-existent knowledge of the Creator. Knowledge that was available or revealed to Job long before our modern scientific equipment enabled us to discover such things. I'll read verses 5 and 6, and again from the NIV. The dead are deep in anguish, those beneath the waters and all that live in them. Death is naked before God. Destruction lies uncovered. So now, these are things that speak of the vast gulf between us and God, things we cannot observe. But what follows is observable and remarkable. Let's read verses 7 through 10, and now from the New American Standard Bible. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters, 
at the boundary of light and darkness. Now, in the first place, these descriptions are marvelously poetic and beautiful. And this is written in the form of Hebrew poetry, right? Yes. So we expect to find simile and metaphor, but that doesn't mean what is being described isn't understood to be real. Now, just because a poet, for example, may say, the eagle soared through the heavens like the sun on a summer's day, doesn't mean he thinks the eagle is in outer space mm-hmm. or the sun is actually flying. And no one insists that a poet use scientifically accurate language to talk about what he or she is describing. So neither should anyone insist Job do so. And yet what he describes is how the world really exists. He is explaining that God placed the earth in space. It's not built on or supported by anything. And in describing the clouds, he marvels that clouds are full of water, yet God causes them to remain suspended in the sky. I love the metaphor Job uses comparing a package covered with a wrapping to a cloud holding water. (laughs) That is really neat, isn't it? Yep. And then in verses 9 and 10, he first calls to mind the shape of the moon that is, the sphere of a full moon, and subtly compares it to the sphere of the earth when he says, quote, he has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters, unquote. The Hebrew word there in verse 10 that the New American Standard Bible translates inscribed a circle is actually a unique word in the Old Testament. And that makes it difficult to precisely translate. Scott, read verse 10 in the NIV. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. Now listen to the translation of the first part of the sentence in the King James Version. He hath compassed the waters with bounds. What's a compass, Scott? It's a tool that draws a circle. Exactly. And so that's just how the new King James Version translates this unusual word. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters. The idea reflected in all these translations, the horizon, a circle, a compass, is that the shape of the earth is curved. It's round. And then there's this clue being given by first mentioning the full moon before it. So, where is the idea that the world is flat? It sure doesn't come from Job's description of the earth. Nope. And yet, there are all kinds of skeptics and critics out there who say the Bible is ridiculous. It teaches the world is flat. And unfortunately, there are a lot of well-meaning believers who somehow have latched onto that bizarre idea. And another bizarre idea that's out there that the Bible certainly doesn't promote is the idea that the world is supported by Atlas, as in Greek mythology, or by a giant turtle, as in the Hindu creation story. The source of silly ideas like that is not the Bible. In fact, what the Bible presents is quite accurate to the extent that it describes the natural realm. Obviously, there's much more to learn concerning the means by which the earth, quote-unquote, hangs in space. But that is not Job's nor the Holy Spirit's intention. What Job is doing is he's painting a beautiful picture with marvelous words to declare just how awesome and wonderful our Creator truly is, as demonstrated by His work in creation. And so, with the backdrop of the Creator's relationship to His creation in view— Job goes on to reveal God's relationship to the angelic realm and the history of the nations. Scott, read verse 11. 
The pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. Uh-oh, the pillars of heaven? <laughs> Is this some archaic idea about the sky being held up by some sort of columns? I think some would claim that's what it means and thereby find reason to ridicule it. Well, you're right about that, Scott. However, to think that on one hand, Job can understand that the earth is round and hangs in empty space, only to then propose that the sky is held up by some stone columns is pretty far-fetched. And notice these pillars react in amazement at God's rebuke. Could these pillars be referring to some kind of beings in heaven? That is my interpretation, and I submit the pillars of heaven represent the higher-ranking angels, and even they respond in fear to their Creator's rebuke. Now, with this description, Job must rely on the revelation of the Spirit of God, for man cannot observe the interactions between God and the angels in heaven. But given the insight into the natural realm we see from Job, isn't it reasonable to accept that God has given him trustworthy information about the supernatural realm? Sure. In all our understanding of the Word of God, faith is required, but it is not a blind leap of irrational acceptance. It is a reasoned, rational understanding based on what we can observe and on the trustworthiness of the God of the Word and our experience with Him. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And that is not what I say, that's what Scripture says.